Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, in the spirit of my wife, I like to talk about my wife a lot because uh, she's fantastic. Uh, and one of the things that I don't think a lot of people know is just how much she does. And she's awesome. And so I love kind of calling her out every time. It's not because I want you to be, oh, cool, look, you love, you love your wife. That's awesome. But, like, I love this woman. She's amazing. And she's just truly, truly fantastic. And I realized that a long time ago, which is why I kind of wanted to marry her. So it kind of worked out really well. But I wanted to share you a story with this mor- or share a story with you this morning about our honeymoon, okay? And I know that can be in a dicey situation when I lead with a story from our honeymoon, but don't worry, it's a good story, okay? We were in North Carolina for our honeymoon. Asheville, Black Mountain area, we were really excited. Nicholas Sparks had all of his his uh, books set up there. We're like, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be romantic. And it was. And so we were all bound to determine. We're like, Meg and I are kind of like, let's on our honeymoon. Let's like explore. Let's, let's go and hike. Let's go and do something. And so this was towards the end of our honeymoon. And so by this time, we had had a lot of just like heavy, great, amazing food. Um, and it was really, really awesome. <laughs> what? I was talking, I legit had food on my mind, but I realized as I was saying this, I'm presenting this in something totally different. But we had lots of food, lots of fattening, heavy food, okay? And so we had all of this stuff. And so at the end of the trip, we're like, we have one more hiking trail left. So we're going to go there. So we, in, in true to fashion, we went and loaded up on carbs and pizza, and we're driving past like the Billy Graham Museum. This is awesome. And we get to this trail. So we get to the trail, we get out, we grab our backpack, and there's a sign there that says danger in big letters. And it says, be cautious of massive altitude changes. Okay, okay, that's fine, right? It's kind of like the caution contents hot on a coffee cup. Yeah, of course there's altitude change. There was the next line that I wasn't super pumped about, venomous snakes. And I was like, you know me, you know I hate snakes. Like, if we ever move down to the south, every two feet on my property, I'm going to have a garden hoe or a shotgun, because if there's a snake anywhere close, it's getting obliterated, because I can't handle snakes at all. And they're, they're terrible. I've said this before, but Satan put himself into the body of a snake. What does that tell you, okay? It's bad news. So, we're going up, the, we're going up this thing, and the sign wasn't joking, because we got about halfway, two-thirds up this uh, this trail and we're like, like like we have we have sweat like like all the things you think of like uh, the honeymoon of like you guys all being cute and you know like dolled up like no like we were just like soaking wet like sweaty nasty and we're sitting there going are we gonna make it like uh, is, this, is this even gonna happen and with that there's a son and a dad this kid couldn't have been more than seven years old and he comes down like a billy goat off these rocks coming down. Like, <laughs> he goes, you're almost there, guys. You can do it. My wife and I are doubled over like this. looking at each other like, are we about ready to be showed up by a seven-year-old? Are you kidding me? Are we really going to get showed up by a seven-year-old here? And so with that, sure enough, we're like, all right, we're getting to the top of this sucker right now. And so we get, we get all the way up there. We take the picture. We're, we're soaking, nasty, disgusting. <laughs> we legit got to the top of the mountain. and We're like, take that, kid. You know, like it was one of those things where we're like, we did it. We proved you wrong. It was awesome. And then when we got all the way back down, I remember having this conversation between Meg and I going, do you think if it wasn't for that kid, that we would have got to the top 
Like, do you think we would have actually got to the top had we not had, like, this shot in the arm from this kid? And the kind of the manly competitive part of me wanted to say, like, oh, yeah, like, we would have totally finished. But at the same time, like, when I tell you we were exhausted and just spent, I mean it. We were absolutely toast. But I remember that conversation because had it not been for that kid, I truly don't think we would have gotten all the way up to the top. And what I, what, I, what I was thankful for the kid in that area was because I want to go, like, why are we giving up, right? We've traveled all the way over to North Carolina. We don't have hiking trails like this easily accessible in Minnesota. We bought the hiking backpack. We did the work to find this trail. We drove up here, and we're going to give up halfway up this thing, two-thirds up the way this thing. Why are we giving up? What are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we stopping so, so soon? And so this concept of what are we doing? I don't often give my sermons a sermon title because uh, it feels a little arbitrary. It feels a little bit like whatever God's going to speak to you through my message, he's going to speak to you. So I don't always like to give them a title. But this week as I prepared, as I kind of walked through the study part of my process, I really felt like God wanted us to ask this question of what are we doing? And again, immediately I think of my dad. Whenever I hear this question, what are you doing? I think of my dad because a lot of times when I heard that question growing up, what are you doing? It was not a general inquiry. He knew what I was doing. He wanted me to have the gumption to say, um, I'm doing something I'm not supposed to, right? Like when you hear, like, what are you doing? It's not like they see what you're doing. And so it's one of those things where it's not always a great question when you hear, what are you doing? But this morning, my question for us is very much more true to the actual intent of the question, what are we doing? It's a question I think all churches around America, all churches around the world ought to be asking themselves a lot is, what are we doing? What is the purpose of this church? Why do we exist? And so honestly, I think it's one of those things, if we were to ask 10 different places, 10 different churches, you'd get 10 different responses. Every church has a different mission statement. Every church has a different reason as to why they do what they do. And depending on where you go, you're going to get a wide variety of responses. But I believe in my heart at every single gumption, every single church, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Spirit-filled church, while there might be differences, while there might be different emphases and purpose and mission and vision and all of this good stuff we talk about, while I think that should be unique and different, I think there should be one thing that should be universal to every Christ-centered, Bible-believing church. And it's an emphasis on going. Going, go. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A little bit later, chronologically, in Acts chapter 1, we see this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was a man on the go. He was always going. If you look throughout the New Testament, he's always going from place to place to place 
to place to place. And what was he doing? He was teaching. He was going to the synagogues or the temples, these places where people would gather and go to a church service, and he would teach them a new way to follow God and to love God. He also went from place to place to heal. There'd be people who had illnesses or uh, something called leprosy, where there was like this debilitating disease that was kind of nasty. There were people who were blind, people who were deaf, all these different things, and Jesus would come in and heal them, heal their bodies. There would also be moments where there would be these people, you see this all throughout the New Testament, people who were demon-possessed, who were full of just awful, nasty stuff, and Jesus would come in there and lay his hand on them, and all of it would leave. It was just a very, very powerful thing. But when you look at the life of Jesus, he spent almost all of his ministerial life, the three years of 30 to 33, when he was traveling around and doing ministry, he was always going from place to place to place to place. And as he would go from place to place to place, People would come to him. People would kind of come in and, and draw themselves to him. But at the very core, Jesus went to where the people were. That's why he went from place to place to place, because he was trying to go where he was needed. He was going to the places where people needed him. And so I think about this often because he was always going. But this week, I really believe the Lord was kind of speaking something to me, because you know who was with him when he went from place to place, to place, to place, to place, his 12 disciples, his 12 disciples, the people who followed him and took care, were with him in all circumstances, all situations, they were with him at every single waking moment that he would did his stuff. And what I was thinking, I've known this for so long. It's like, of course, yeah, duh. They spent all their time together. I've preached about it before. But this week, something new that God showed me is I always thought about how these disciples, they saw the miracles. They saw how God would heal somebody. They saw with their own eyes when he went into Lazarus' home who was dead and he prayed for him and he came back to life. They saw all of this really, really cool stuff that God did. They saw it with their own eyes. They witnessed it. They saw it. But do you know what else they saw that I didn't make the connection until now? They saw all the junk that was also a part of it. They saw the people who were really, really hopeless. They saw with their own eyes these people who were ailing and sick and in, in, in a bad situation. They saw the depravity of what it was looking like to go to this community or go to the city where there was like some, some rough people right? Like when they go from place to place, it's not like people are being like open reception, like, hey, come on in. We'd love to have you. This is great. This was something where it's like, there there are some places where they were like really, really hated and really, really hostile. And so it's one of these moments where this week I saw how the disciples, they saw some really, really cool stuff, but they also saw some really, really tough stuff. They saw some really, really sad and difficult Stuff And what I think was so cool is they saw the state of the people before they experienced Jesus, but they also had to experience the state of the people after. What a cool moment for these disciples to so to know, I saw with my own eyes how you were sick. I saw how you literally were full of boils and all these lesions and all these things all over your body. I saw that with my own eyes. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came, he prayed for you, and now I see how your skin is smooth as a baby's bottom and you're great and you're healed. I've seen them both. And I think in that moment, it's one of those things where Jesus kind of really assured, like, I am who I said I am. We can't appreciate the weight of something that we don't see. We can't appreciate it. Put it another way, we aren't moved by something that doesn't affect us. 
We're just not. Ladies in the room, let me talk to you for just a quick second, okay? On behalf of Eve, I'm sorry. I am very, very sorry for Eve because let's not get into the debate of who made the apple and who, like who, there's the whole thing. But the reality is we ate the apple back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter one. As a result, sin ended the world. And do you know what the punishment was? Pain in childbirth. I'm sorry on behalf of Eve for eating that dumb apple because let me tell you something. Um, I've always assumed that having a baby was a painful business, okay? I've seen enough movies. I've seen enough TV shows where the lady's like, ah, you know, screaming and just like, man, that just sounds terrible. But when my wife entered the hospital room, um, let me tell you something about Meg. She is one of the toughest people I know of. When, she, when we were in Boston together on a vacation, my lovely bride got kidney stones. She's a tank. She, she literally was just like, it almost felt like she was just like spitting the kidney stones out. Like she's like, she's like, oh, I'm in so much pain. And I'm like, what do I do? You know, like, I guess it's like two, one o'clock in the morning. She's bent over in the bathroom in pain. And she's like, I just gotta throw up and I'll feel better. And I'm like, you are a specimen, you know? Like, that, that, is, that is insane. I can't imagine that, that pain tolerance. And sure enough, she throws up and she's like, all right, I'm good now. And I'm just like, I would literally be like bawling on the floor in pain because I have a zero pain tolerance. It's not good. And so when we, so you fast forward that now. That was in 2018 in June. When September, we're in the hospital room and my wife had her birth plan. She's like, I'm gonna do this natural. I'm going to do no meds. I'm going to just, I want to have that experience, you know? I want to like just feel what it's like to, 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 to bring our baby into the world. And I'm like, yeah, baby, that's awesome. Let's do it. And so she's got, she's got her birth plan. She's awesome. She's great. And when I tell you that this woman grabbed my arm and goes, get me the epidural. I knew that there was a pain that she was feeling that I couldn't possibly wrap my head around. Because again, she laughed at kidney stones. Like, <laughs> that's cute. But, but the, when the baby was coming, she was like, Whew. and so sure enough, um, we had the baby. Epidural was great, right? It was awesome. Um, she, she lost lower extremity function for about 12 hours, but it was much, much better. And in that experience, I found out that I will never, ever in my life be able to comprehend what it's like to bring a child into this world. But what I do know is I saw my wife, who I love dearly, go through something that was so painful that she thought about physically harming me. And I realized in that moment that it's painful. It's really, really tough. Now, in the same way, like, how does that have anything to do with anything? Let me show you, okay? In the same way, people in the world, I say dare people in the church, will never be able to fully comprehend some of the burdens, some of the weight, and some of the tough things that people in our world will have to walk through. We won't be able to do it. We won't be able to know what it's like to wake up and wonder when the militia, when the oppressors are going to come into your village and just start massacring people. We're not going to know what it's like to wake up in a place. I've seen the videos. I've seen the missionaries who are there 
for all of a sudden these militia to come in and start dropping mortars on this village because they want to come in and take the people and use them for their own personal gain. We'll never be able to fully understand sitting in St. Francis, Minnesota, what it's like to have that. We might not be able to understand what it's like to have this moral dilemma of your small little kids being here, knowing that the water you have to go and collect is full of poop, full of parasites, full of things that very well might kill them, but the alternative is to not give them water at all. How's that for a dilemma? We'll never be able to understand what it's like to be entrapped in something where you are forced to be subjected to 10 to 15 different men every day because you found yourself into a bad situation. Oh, and by the way, some of these people are eight and nine years old because they were sold into it from a young age because their family was in so much debt. We'll never be able to understand the struggle of what it's like to have to figure out if you're gonna go to church or not, knowing full well if you do go to church and somebody finds out, you're going to be in the next video of you getting decapitated. We don't know what it's like to live our life that way. We don't know what it's like to have those types of things going on in the back of our brain. We don't know what it's like. So the question I have for our churches in America is, what are we doing? What are we doing? Because here's the reality God loves those people. This is going to be a crazy concept. He loves those people just as much as he loves you and I. And those are our siblings, kind of in the same way that if your sibling was being subjected to a bully or something tough, I think a lot of us would feel the gumption to go, I'm going to go protect my sibling because that's wrong. What are we doing? If the church is unwilling to go into all of the world as Jesus calls us to do, what are we really doing. And let me be clear, this message is not a guilt trip. This message is not a we need to feel bad about what we have because the reality is there's nothing bad to feel about. It's not a matter, I think so many times we hear these things and we're like, oh, I feel guilty because I have clean water. I have safety. I have a nice car. I have a phone. I, I feel like I'm not supposed to have those things. And no, 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 that's not at all what this is about because God gives you desires of your heart and God puts you on this planet at such a time as this in your place, in your community for a reason. So it's not about feeling bad. It's about feeling empowered. It's about feeling like you can do something with what you have. It's about knowing that you have some really cool things at your disposal so that you can go and do something powerful that changes the world. When that little kid walked down the hiking trail of the Great Smoky Mountains and said his half-hearted comment of, you're almost there, guys, it was a shot in the arm because he gave us something we didn't know we had, which is that will to keep on going. Matthew chapter 22, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Someone asked Jesus this. Jesus replied, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But sometimes we kind of just stop it there. Look at this next part. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, the first part, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is something that when we come to church, hopefully we're accomplishing this. When we come to church, when we sit together and we worship together, when we listen to the preacher who is your favorite person in the world all the time, right? You're growing in your love of God. You're growing in your knowledge, in your mind of who God is. That's growing and that's loving God with your mind. Loving God with your soul means you take those moments throughout your day, throughout your night to just sit and just abide and just let God just speak over you or care for 
for you. That's his soul care. And with your heart, when you, when you do something together, when you go get a burger with us, when you come to a Bible study and you're with like-minded people and you get to kind of be there for each other, that's good for the heart. That's good for who you are. We are really, really good at loving God at church with our heart, our soul, and our mind. That's fantastic. But we can't forget that Jesus had a two-part thing here. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think for some of us, loving ourselves is kind of like a weird concept. I think for some of us, we're so self-critical. We're so, so tough on ourselves that we think like we stink at loving ourselves. And that's present company excluded. Sometimes I feel like I'm not great at that. However, here are some of the ways I've realized that I love myself really, really well. When I'm hungry, I eat a lot. Snacks, meat, nothing green primarily. When I am hungry, I feed myself. I love my body enough to be able to understand I need to nourish it that way. I also nourish it by drinking good water every day and not just Dr. Pepper, even though Dr. Pepper, I'm convinced, is like of the Lord. It's so good. But I nourish myself with water and things that are really, really good for me. But here's something that I need to call out, and I think our teenagers can love themselves a little bit better this way. Hygiene. I love myself with hygiene. I brush my teeth twice a day, mostly. I put deodorant on. I do all these things that can give me a good, natural hygiene. Now, here's the part I really, really feel like I love myself in. When I am in a situation where maybe I'm being kind of jobbed or, or put in a rough spot, I like to defend myself. I like to say, you know what? Like, um, I'm going to stand up for myself because what's happening is maybe not right or not something. And that's not to say I'm confrontational, but the reality is when something happens to me, something that's maybe not right or not whatever, I feel like I have the ability to respectfully stand up for myself. Because I, I, what's right and wrong is right and wrong, right? And I want to love myself to not just be run over by anyone and everyone who makes their way that way. I love myself that way. Now, the question is, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves really well most of the time. The question is, do we love our neighbor with the same tenacity and the same vigor that we love ourselves? Because here's the thing, I sit on enough community pages to know sometimes the school gets a lot of flack because when there's not sufficient funds in your bank account, right, they can't serve you. And so you have to sit there with an apple and a piece of bread and the whole world loses their mind. For good reason, it's your kid, right? They got to eat. What if that same passion, that same indignation, that same anger of like, how in the world do they not let my kid eat? He's a kid. He needs to eat. He needs to be able to have the food that he needs. Why in the world does the school think this is okay? I'm going to knock somebody's head off. Yet we know all around the world, you jump on a plane, there's all kinds of kids that would love that piece of bread. They would love that apple because they haven't eaten in five days. And what they ate before was rotten and nasty and disgusting. What if we loved our neighbors the same way we loved ourselves? It's powerful to think about. 
If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But there's a semicolon there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Semicolon. Semicolon is means the previous thought is its own, own thought, but it's also connected to what's after it. They're of the same nature, just different thoughts. So let's put it this way. What if that semicolon, instead of a semicolon, was so that? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So that you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We just spent three weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do some really, really cool things. That's awesome. That's great. We need that power. We need God living inside of us. We need God moving and shaking and being there for us to give us words of knowledge, to give us power, to give us all these great things. We need it for our own personal life, 100%. But the reason that God wants to instill this in us is not just so we have this all-powerful power inside of us just for the sake of having it. It's so that we do something with it. It's so that we do something to impact the world and make a difference in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, what are we doing? Here's what I want to tell you our church wants to do. We are a church that wants to go. We are a church that wants to go. If you come to our growth track, which is a four-week thing, we're finishing it up today, and you look at our vision, you look at our mission, you look at our thing, there is a tagline in there that says, when we focus our eye, when we keep our eyes focused inside of the church, we will shrivel. And here's the point with that. That's not to say that we don't want to pour into here. That's not to say that we're not passionate about seeing every single one of you fall in love with God, get connected, be in fellowship, be together. But the problem is if we're so full of light in here and we're so full of great things in here, but we never think to take it outside into the darkness, it feels like a waste. In the gospel, there's a story of saying if if you are a lamp, why would you put it underneath the bowl? Point being, if you were someone who could share light, then what's the purpose of not shining your light in the darkness? We want to make sure you are full of life, full of excitement, full of the Holy Spirit, so you feel connected to God and each other. So you have these life-altering moments time and time and time again inside of these walls with God, breakthroughs, breakdowns, all these things that you've been holding to see God come in and do them in a powerful way would be awesome. But with all of that, we want that to empower you to be a witness to other people. What I love is when you see throughout the scripture When Jesus would heal somebody, when he would do something powerful inside of their life, what they would do is they would run and go tell everybody that cared about them. You wouldn't believe this. I was blind, but now I can see. I can see you with my own eyes, and you're kind of ugly, but I can see you. It's not in the scripture, but that's kind of my own personal adaption, right? But that's the point. It's like all these different things that happen in Scripture. Jesus does something powerful, does something crazy. And what's the first thing they do? They run and go and tell the people that care about them because those people know what it was like before Jesus. And now they can see what life is like after Jesus. It's a recipe for the church. The reason we're in this building right now, right here in St. Francis, is because the disciples took Jesus at his word. They went to Jerusalem. They went to Judea. They went to Samaria. They went to the ends of the earth. We're a long way away from Israel. A long way. 
a long 24-hour plane ride away. And I know, because I was there. It's a long way over there. So how in the world did we have a church in Minnesota, in St. Francis, now then area? Because the disciples went out into the world and were witnesses. And the ones they witnessed to experienced Jesus. And what they did is they were then witnesses to the people that they didn't know. And what they happened is they were witnesses. It's a pyramid scheme. It's how and why we are here. And I could go into it and into it, into it here. But I want to kind of tease you with this is a story I'm going to talk about here in a few weeks. John chapter 4. Jesus has been going and going and going and going. So he's tired. He's really tired. So as they're going through a little town in Samaria, he sits down at a well. The disciples go off into town to try and find some food and water and sustenance. And as that's happening, I want you to see this, John chapter 4. Now, he had, go, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and as Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, again, I really want to dive into this because there's so much good stuff, but here's what I want to kind of leave you with today. There's so many subtleties within Scripture that when you really look at them, it, it really paints the picture a whole different way. I had read this story time and time and time again and never made the connection. Why does it matter at what time it was? Why does it matter that she was getting water at noon? Because when you're in Israel, it's hot. It's really, really stinking hot. So if you want to go get water, if you want to have to travel a far way to get water, when would you do it? In the morning, because the sun's not as intense. The sun's not as crazy. It's much more easier to get water without feeling that you're going to pass out. But this woman, the reason it was so quiet, empty, is because no one's getting water at noon. It's the middle part of the day when the sun's most hot. So why is she there? Because this woman that Jesus was talking to was a promiscuous woman, someone who had had lots of men in her life. And as such, in that culture, you were just massacred. Not physically, but you were, you were mistreated, you were called names, you were kicked to the curb. It was all these different things, and she didn't want to have to deal with it. So she tried to escape and hide away from anybody else. So she comes at noon. And Jesus sees her and says, hey, will you get me a drink? That right there proves the heart of Jesus, that he went from place to place to place because he went where the people were. It's not in the scripture, but knowing that Jesus is omnipotent, that's omniscient, there we go, omniscient. He knows all things. You can't tell me that, yes, he was tired. But Jesus being Jesus, I had to imagine he knew full well that that lady was coming. So he waited for her. And in that moment, it was a teaching lesson for her. And again, I, I, I literally feel like I'm just being pulled back right now because I have so much I want to share. But here's what I want to just leave you with today. 
Jesus made it his mission to go and to do for people that couldn't normally do it for themselves. Jesus went after the people who were down and out. He went after the people who were overlooked. He went after the people that were down on their luck, who were poor, who were after tough stuff. It's not that he didn't care for the people that were otherwise. It's not that he didn't dedicate his time, his effort, his energy into his disciples and all the people who were doing well. But Jesus made it his mission to go. He made it his mission to go and see the rest of the world, to be where the people were because he knew that people needed him. So he went and he went and he went. We got to go. We got to get out into the world and see something because you can't appreciate something that doesn't affect you. It's one of those things when we were in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's all these things I was feeling about. I kind of had a scratchy throat. I kind of had some stuff. It was like, I was kind of like, I've been chasing your teenagers around for four days. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want to go home and see my wife. But on the fourth day, we went to this place in Phoenix. It was the Skid Row, basically, of Phoenix, Arizona. Three or four city blocks lined on each side with people who were homeless. That very day, I kid you not, I saw people who had no clothes because they literally couldn't afford them. Their shirt was half torn open. We saw a drug deal go down on the street, but we could do nothing about it because we're not law enforcement. We saw people shooting up right there on the street. It was a different world than anything our students, anything I'd ever seen in my life. But it was their reality. And in that moment, I kind of had this, like, what do I do? It was this burden of going, I got to do something. I got I to gotta get these people out. If they only knew, if they only knew that Jesus could give them hope, that they don't have to chase the next high, they don't have to chase the next thing, because the very thing that they want of joy and love and acceptance can be found in Jesus. And only if they knew, it would change them. And there was this moment for my students and I to go, what can we do? We're here. We're outside of our comfort zone. Send us. We got to go. We got to go. And here's the thing. Maybe you're not all about a mission trip. Maybe it's not easy for us to jump on a plane and go halfway around the world and do these things. Maybe we can't do that. But do you know what we can do? We can mobilize people who can. We can do things from here. I want to show you something that just absolutely wrecked my heart this week. My best friend in the world, his name is Jake. He is in Tanzania as we speak right now. Tanzania in Africa. And I want to show you something that's absolutely crazy, crazy powerful. Uh, different one, Asher. The other one. Here we go. So, this is a water well. Here's the cool thing. This water well was purchased by Speed Delight. Speed Delight is a missions organization that our students, present company included, and the students around Minnesota and the world give to. When we talk about student raising for missions, this is what it goes to. This well was purchased by students, by Minnesota students specifically, I believe, but I'm not positive. But here's what I want to share with you. Actually, you go to the next picture too, as I pull up this, this screenshot. This was their alternative before the water well. This is a natural, a natural well that they dug 30 or 40 feet deep. Now, here's the crazy part. We're going to show a video next week about how they live. This nature well is the same water that their cows and all their animals get their water from. It's what they bathe in. It's what they drink. It's what they poop in. And here's the crazy part. I want to read this to you from my friend Jake. He's, he sent me this picture. Um, I don't have it. I don't have it pulled up here. Uh, but basically... What happens is these are 30 or 40 feet deep. So they have hundreds of kids die per year 
because these kids are just walking around and they don't know that these wells are here and they fall in because they need water. That's the alternative. Not only is the water corrupt, not only is the water terrible, but the, the, the very thing that they need, they need the water, but it's the very thing that the kids are falling into and dying. It's crazy. It's depressing. It's tough. It's insane. But it makes the difference. Here's what's crazy. It's why we do what we do. It's why our students get so excited about missions. It's why they get so excited about raising money for a water well. Because what happens is when you have the water well that we have up here, this is no, not necessary anymore. And here's the coolest, best part of the whole stinking thing. The last well in the village in Tanzania that they visited this week. They put in a water well last year. They put the water well in right next to the Assemblies of God Church. Check this out. After they put the water well in there, within a year, they had to have a building project because they were doubling and expanding their church so big. And there's more, there's more, there's more. Not only that, but they had to build a Bible college because there were so many people who were excited about their faith, who were excited about what God was doing, that they felt like they needed to get, they wanted to dig in. And here's the best part of the whole sinking thing. They wanted to make an impact in the world. They saw how Jesus moved on their behalf. They saw how Jesus changed their life. So what was their first inclination? Teach me, equip me, show me how I can go out into the world and do the very same thing. They get it. Acts chapter 1, be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Here's what we're doing, Bridge Church. Here's what we're doing. Here's how we can do something. A few different things. Our youth, they're chasing a water well. We're going after paying for one of these water wells. They're $35,000. It's a lot. But our youth have bought in. They're excited. We're doing things practically so that we can know that there is one of these in another African village. And who knows what's going to happen? Think of how many people are going to know Jesus as a result of what's happening here. It's powerful. So November 16th, if you are around, it's a Wednesday night. Our youth are going to give towards this water well. And if you've never been a part of the big give... It's amazing. It'll give you goosebumps. It's crazy. It's fun. So that's what we're doing. Riley's also leading a mission trip for our youth this coming summer to Ecuador to go and make a difference in Ecuador. He's going. So church, here's what I'm saying as adults. I want to go. There's a trip I want to lead at some point down to the Strip of Las Vegas to go and do something about anti-human trafficking with Free International. That's something I want to do. There's all these things I want to do and I want to go, but here's where it starts. It starts here. It starts with us saying, you know what, God? You've moved them in life. You've done some incredible things in my life. I want to go. You don't have to travel halfway across the world to make an impact. Jerusalem was where they were staying. Judea was the area outside of the town. Samaria was just outside of that. And then the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't say, hey, just go to the other side of the planet to go make an impact. He said, start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Samaria, and go to the ends of the earth. Your mission field is outside of this door. Whether that mission field carries you to Ecuador, to Panama, to Tanzania, 
or whether it carries you into Medtronic and Shoreview, your mission field is out that door. So we have to say, you know what? I want to go, Jesus. I want to love you so much that I can't help get enough of you. But God, would you help me to send me out that way? As I get filled up with what you're doing, send me out. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk, we're going to keep it. This is, this is just the why. This is just the why of why mission is important. We're going to break down how to do it more practically, what it looks like. But here's what I would say. Come to that Wednesday night on November 16th. Come to the big give. We want you there. This is the first year we want adults to be a part of it if you're around, to watch them give, watch them go after this water well, because it's going to take all of us. Next Sunday, Riley, Pastor Riley, and the youth students are kind of leading the show here. Come be a part of it. They might, they're going to be selling some bake sale stuff. They're going to be selling stuff. If you feel like, you know what, I want to give to the water well, but I want to support a student, there's going to be all kinds of students here next Sunday selling their stuff towards the water well. If you feel like, you know what, I have a business, I have a thing I want to do to the well, we can talk about all these different things, but right now today, I want us to get the heart behind what we do. This is not a fundraiser, this is not a bridge church thing, this is about us going out into the world in the way that we know how. And we're excited to do it. So this morning, would you pray with me as we get out of here? Jesus, you care about us so deeply that your word says, you know, the number of hairs on our head, the number of thoughts that you have for us, God, outnumbers the grains of sand. You know us so well, God, and you love us so deeply, so intentionally. But God, that same love that you have for us is the same love you have for people in our town, in our state, in our country, and into every ounce of the earth around us, God. So Jesus, today, would you help us to go wherever, however, whatever it looks like. Jesus, would you help us? But God, for those in here, those who are listening online, those who are going, you know what? That sounds great, but I'm not there in my faith yet. God, may they know it's about you. It's not about going necessarily. It's as much as about it's knowing you. We can't go unless we know you first because God, you fill us with hope and joy and perseverance. So God, for those in this place today who want to make things right with you, maybe they've, maybe they've been walking away from their faith. Maybe they've been, the, you know what? Like, I don't know where I'm at, but I want this faith you're talking about, this intimate connection with Jesus. I want that. May they know Jesus, that it's only a matter of saying, Jesus, forgive me. Would you come into my life? Because your word says, we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that you are the Lord that we are saved. So Jesus, today, may we all understand it's not about being enough. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being sinless. It's about being present and obedient to you. Jesus, lead us, send us, be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.